0: Well, the way I want to start um, is not necessarily obvious, but I actually want to start with some grammar and to see if it'll help us out. So my first point is the importance of verbs, um, because we, I've been throwing around this term discipleship, 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 a word that's not actually in the Bible anywhere. Uh, in fact, a word that may limit what I want to accomplish through this discussion. So if I ask the question, how much discipleship takes place at Kingsway Community Church and how would you describe it? We might get answers like this. You might point to some discipleship classes that you have throughout the week. Or your children's ministry, which you had a much more clever name than, we just call it children's ministry. Y'all had something much more clever. Or maybe you think of your small groups or some book studies or maybe even preaching, which is certainly an area of discipleship. That's, we might label those things. That's what we do for discipleship. How would that change if we just changed it a little bit and said, How much discipling takes place at Kingsway? Would your answer be the same? Would you you approach answering that any differently than discipleship? Discipling and discipleship. Would there be a distinction? Because when we say discipleship, we often think, when we think of the noun, we think of that as a, a synonym for programmed activity, specifically around teaching and learning. We're going to have a discipleship class that meets for a few weeks, or uh, we, we do discipleship in our small groups. And that's I'm not saying all that's bad. I just want to focus in a little bit more. Do we lose anything by using that noun to describe something that should be very active? Because the noun, discipleship, is passive. It's typically about knowledge, not obedience, or it emphasizes information, not an active pursuit, and it sometimes misses the whole idea or concept of modeling and example. So it's possible that when we use discipleship to describe a class or book study or small group as a thing, this is what we do for discipleship, we may lose something critical about what it means to be a disciple and to make disciples. In the Bible, as I've already mentioned, we don't have the term discipleship to describe a class or book or small group. We don't have, we don't have that term discipleship. We don't have the noun. We have the noun disciple and we have the verb or phrase to make disciples. So what do we gain by using verbs for this being discipled or making disciples. For one, it's, it's active, it's intentional, and it's personal. It's no longer just an activity that we do as Christians, going to a class or reading a book. But even the verb, like being discipled, is passive. So we might even gain more clarity if we use more active verbs like follow, Or imitate, these are words that we'll find throughout the text of scripture. Follow me, imitate me. So I hope that by the end, uh, each of us, this is, this is one of my goals for this teaching that by the end, you'd be able to have a definition, kind of a working definition of what it means to disciple someone or to be a disciple. But I have two questions or two things to kind of hone in as you form that definition throughout our time together. One, is your definition too broad? In other words, when you think about being discipled or making disciples, is your definition too broad to just mean participating in church activities? In other words, just showing up? Or just practicing spiritual disciplines? like Bible reading and prayer, or just reading Christian books? Like is that, is discipleship just too broad that it's not really measurable in any way? It's just the normal stuff we do as Christians. Or is your definition too narrow? In other words, is disciple-making only for a specialized few in this church? Maybe the pastor's or leaders, or small group leaders, or deacons, or Sunday school teachers, children's ministry teachers? Is discipleship so narrow that it's specialized and you somehow fall outside of the group that is to be making disciples? Or on the other end, maybe your definition of discipling is too narrow in that you think it can only mean one-on-one relationships, only mean a Paul and a Timothy, That's the only model that works for discipling. Or maybe your definition is too narrow in that you think only the discipler can initiate this relationship. That might be too narrow of a definition. So where I'd like us to start is where I think anybody must start to make disciples, and that is you've got to start by becoming disciples. A disciple. I had a hard time deciding which of these points to kind of put first in the message of whether it's whether I should talk about making disciples first or becoming a disciple first but decided here let's talk about becoming a disciple and there can be confusion when we talk like this on becoming a disciple. Maybe even the way I've talked about it could be confusing because we may wonder, is he talking about becoming a Christian or is he talking about something after you become a Christian? Like, this is Christianity 201 or 301. I just took my son to uh, NC State on Friday for orientation and, you know, looking at his classes he's going to take. Is, is, is being a disciple kind of the upper level class and becoming a Christian is, is the lower level class? I don't think that's a helpful way to think about it for several reasons. Um, For one, let's just think about the words used in the Bible to describe Christians. Like we often use the term Christians. The word Christians only in the New Testament three times to describe believers. The New Testament would rather use words like the saints, it's used over 60 times, or holy ones, those who are set apart for God's purposes, or the believers, used around 15 times. It highlights what's most unique about the followers of Jesus and that they believe in him and believe his word. They've believed the gospel, that Jesus came to save sinners. But far and away, the term used most is the term disciples. 235 times plus in the New Testament it means Followers, one who follows the teaching and lifestyle of their teacher. They're dedicated and submitted to their master, disciples. So when I talk about disciples, I'm not talking about some upper level of Christianity. But the term does communicate some things we need to hear about what it means to be a Christian. All three of these descriptors, saints, believers, disciples, used throughout the New Testament are helpful to define what a true Christian should be. All three of these show great contrast to how our culture uses the term Christian to just mean some religious affiliation or a cultural statement about the group we belong to. Now, these three terms highlight a dedicated life to follow the Lord in his teaching. So the first, uh, the first passage, I'm going to look at four passages about being a disciple and then uh, three or four about making disciples. So our first passage this morning is from Mark chapter 8, verses 34 and 35. Uh, And these first two are are talking about Jesus and his disciples. So in Mark 8, it says this, And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. Interesting who we have in this, in this couple of verses here. We have the crowd, we have Jesus, and we have his disciples, the men who were already following him. But notice the, the invitation is here to follow Jesus. If anyone would come after me. There's an invitation to follow. Now, when there's an invitation for something, that's actually putting some responsibility on the person who who wants to be a disciple to, to come after Jesus and follow him. Jesus is inviting people to follow him. It's an invitation, but it's also not easy. This verse tells us there's sacrifice involved and difficulty involved. This verse also tells us that there are eternal consequences of your decision to follow or not to follow. You'll gain your life or lose it ultimately. So this is, this is a verse about becoming a disciple. Now, this particular verse doesn't really highlight the faith and believing part, there's plenty of other places in the Bible that are going to help us understand that. It's emphasizing this commitment to be a follower, to listen to, to follow, and to obey. A second verse, again from Mark, from Mark chapter 3, verses 13 and 14. Jesus is, again, giving a, a different, an invitation at a different time. I want to highlight something different here. It says, And he went up on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired, and they came to him. And he appointed twelve, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach. There's something to learn here about discipling and becoming a disciple. Number one, he's calling them to be with him. It's not not just about information. It's not just listen to my teaching. He's calling them alongside with him, Jesus is, to be with him, to know him, that he might know them. This is something we should take into our discipling relationships as well. It's not enough just to monologue and teach. It's, it's being with them, spending time with them. In fact, the, the man who discipled me, his name was Tom, his definition of discipling was really simple. It was spending time with others to help them grow. It had all, everything to do with, with time, with spending time with them. To think about spiritual things so Jesus wants his disciples to be with him it wasn't just knowledge based it included fellowship and living life together to some degree but notice this about the passage too it wasn't just that they might be with him it included what was coming next that he might send them out to preach they came to be with him to learn from him, to know him, so that he might send them out. And you might be saying, well, John, um, I mean, this is obviously talking about the apostles. This can't possibly mean all Christians. And I I would just say, stick with us. I think you're going to find it's more than just the apostles who are sent out to proclaim who Jesus is and what salvation is. But sometimes we're not sure. So we just had two texts. One, Jesus called, called the crowd and his disciples to come follow him. Another, he called them to be with him that he might send them out. And we say, well, well John, um, Jesus is ascended and is with the Father now. What are we supposed to do? Like, what does it look like for us to be followers and disciples? We can't follow Jesus around physically and be with him and learn from him. And so the New Testament, Paul, Paul gives us a couple of, well, Paul, the writer of Hebrews, we have several pictures here that help us to know what does discipling look like for us. These are quick. 1 Corinthians 11, one, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. I just consider what a bold statement that is. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Not many of us want to raise our hand and stand up here and say that, right? Hey, just be like me. Just, just imitate the things I do, the way I speak, the depth of my faith. Just imitate me. And yet, the call to be a discipler is a call to be willing To say that. It's a call for us to be willing to say to other people, imitate me. Now, I'm so thankful Paul added, as I am of Christ. In other words, don't imitate me when I'm not imitating Christ, right? But it is a personal connection to say, I'm helping you grow in your faith, but but when he says, be imitators of me, we think, oh, I've got to do everything right. I've got to do everything perfect. But that's actually not what we need to teach people, is it? How to be morally perfect. That's a a different religion. That's not Christianity. Christianity is saying, be an imitator of me in how I depend on Christ for everything, in how I'm so dependent on Christ for forgiveness of sins. And I'm dependent on the Holy Spirit to accomplish anything meaningful, And I have to humble myself before God regularly because of my sinfulness and the indwelling sin in me. And I have to fight against sin in my life. Those are the things that people need to imitate in us, not our good choices. So let's be willing to say to people, imitate me as I follow Jesus. Hebrews puts it a little differently in Hebrews 13. This is specifically talking about church leaders. He says, Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Now, it doesn't say just believe what they said. Now, they shared the word of God with you. But the point of this verse is actually not believe them. The point of this verse is consider the outcome of their way of life. How do they live? Do you know what it's like when when your leaders are struggling in their faith and they have to call out to God for help? Have you ever seen that? Have you ever witnessed that where, where your leaders are having to go in faith to God for help? consider that consider the outcome of that way of life imitate their faith again it's not imitate their interests and imitate their hobbies and imitate like the way they talk it's imitate their faith it's modeling and mentoring language And I'm so thankful that in Sovereign Grace Churches, knowing your pastors and being known by your pastors is valued. We're really not trying to build megachurches where you can't know the men who teach you from week to week. Just remember that, that that's a value that we need to we need to treasure, that we would know the men who labor among us and are over us in the Lord and imitate their faith. So that's where we need to start. If you're not a Christian, the place to start is actually to to believe the words of Jesus and to trust Him and to follow Him. But let's move on now uh, to the call of the discipler. So I have three more points. I hope this isn't intimidating, but they're all short. So the call of the discipler. I just feel like we couldn't have a message on making disciples without reading from the Great Commission in Matthew 28. It's very familiar to us, but let's let's go to it. Matthew 28, 19 and 20. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. The command here, make disciples. That's the imperative. Go and make disciples. Now, I don't know about you, but when I, that sounds a little bit intimidating to me. It doesn't say go and try to make disciples. It doesn't say go and hope that your disciple making efforts are fruitful. It says go and make disciples of all the nations. How can we accomplish that? I mean, after all, it's not finally up to us whether a person becomes a disciple or not, is it? We're good, reformed people in sovereign grace. We believe in the sovereignty of God in calling people to salvation. And yet, even within our commitment to the sovereignty of God, God can say to us, go and make disciples of all nations. Oh, and I'm going to be with you to the end of the age. It's kind of like um, in Acts. In Acts, the Holy Spirit says to Paul, go, go open the eyes of the blind He's, he actually tells him to go, you're going to go open the eyes of the blind, talking about he's going to make people become Christians. And Paul can't do that. Paul can't make people become Christians. And yet, that's the way God speaks to him in the book of Acts. This is what I'm going to use you to do. And it's the same with us. God wants to use us to go make disciples, even though it's not up to us. But, so the command here to make disciples, and he tells us what that means right here in the passage baptizing them. So who are we making disciples of, class? Is it just fellow believers? No, making disciples actually starts with evangelism. Go make disciples baptizing them and teaching them. So don't think of your making disciples as just being, oh, I take that slightly less mature Christian and help them grow. Yes, that's part of discipleship. How much better if we started with the one who's not a Christian yet, and said, God, would you open their eyes to your truth and help me to make them into a disciple by teaching them the gospel and then teaching them what? What does it tell them to teach them? Teach them to know all that I've commanded you? No. Teaching them to like all that I've commanded you? No. Teaching them to observe, to obey all that I've commanded you. Jesus is saying making a disciple is taking someone, introducing them to the gospel, baptizing them, teaching them to obey all that I've said. All that I've taught, all that the Bible teaches, teach them to obey it. That's discipling. We can't do it without Jesus being with us. All right, so that's the call. So the call of the discipler is Jesus himself saying to his disciples, this is what I want you to do. I want you to go and make disciples. I believe this is a call for all believers to go and make disciples. Next, I have the strategy of the discipler. This for many years was was my life verse. I wanted wanted to do this, 2 Timothy 2, 2. What you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. This reminds us that discipling is also about a body of teaching, a body of, of knowledge, of truth. What you've been entrusted with, entrust to faithful men who will teach others also. So, this verse in 2 Timothy highlights it is about teaching what's been given to you, but it's also about teaching it to people who will be able to teach others. It's not, it's not just, well, I, I've taught people and they haven't done anything with it. No, part of discipling and making disciples is helping those you're teaching to go and teach others. This verse also shows us that once we've learned something, we can go share it. What you have received, teach to faithful men that they may teach others also. This shows it doesn't, we don't have to be an expert in all things to be discipling. What we've learned, we teach and we teach them to teach others. It's not about being an expert And finally, uh, maybe you can turn to this one in your Bibles. It'll be up there, but let's ju- we're going to camp here for a few minutes in Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1, verses 28 and 29. This I've just, for this point, the work of the Discipler." So the call of the Discipler in Matthew 28, the strategy of the Discipler in 2 Timothy, now the work of the Discipler in Colossians 1, 28 and 29. This is terrible. I'm starting right in the middle of Paul's sentence. So y'all just have… It's it's a new sentence in the ESV, so I'm just going to go with that. But we we are entering into the middle of one of Paul's many run-on sentences. So. You may want to go back and say, all right, I want to make sure John was saying the right things about this and back up a few verses to verse 24, but we're going to start in verse 28. Him we proclaim, and the hymn here is Jesus, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this, I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. This is, this is the work of the discipler right here, in two beautiful verses. We don't proclaim ourselves. We proclaim him, Jesus. We're, we're showing people who Jesus is, not who we are. And it's broader than one-on-one relationships. L- look at the all and every here. Warning everyone, teaching everyone, presenting everyone mature in Christ. All, all, every. It's all throughout these two verses. The goal The goal is really clear here. Paul helps us. His goal is to present everyone mature in Christ. Or maybe if you're reading another translation, perfect. Presenting everyone perfect in Christ. Now, when we think perfect, we may think sinless. Actually, don't think that's Paul's point here to say perfect perfect may be too strong of an English translation, mature may be a little too weak because we think of maturity as just being, I'm a little bit farther along than that other person. But this is somewhere in between that. We're presenting people mature in Christ, wholly devoted to Christ, committed and submitted to Christ. How does he do that? Well, he does it by proclamation. So there's speaking involved. Proclamation probably referring to the gospel itself, that we're we're leading people to be mature in Christ by teaching them the grace of the gospel, that they can be forgiven of their sins and made perfect before a holy and righteous God by the work of Jesus Christ on their behalf. We proclaim to them But it's not just that proclamation of the gospel, look, it's warning everyone. This is admonition. This is is getting down with them in in the work of everyday belief and life and obedience. This is kind of the… this is a big part of that whole discipling relationship is Admonition and warning, and helping people avoid trouble that sin leads to, and helping them choose the path that leads to faithfulness in Christ. So we proclaim, and we warn, and we teach. Now, teaching isn't just standing up here behind a pulpit, teaching happens in everyday life, in many of our encounters, it happens around the dinner table. It happens in the break room at work. It happens throughout your everyday job. It happens in children's ministry, or a small group, or going to have coffee. There could be teaching involved with that. There could be warning involved with that, and there could be proclamation involved with that. And who, just, just the people in your church? Is that, is that how Paul's thinking about this? Is the work of a discipler? No, he says warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom. I don't think he means, hey, I'm personally going to speak to everybody in the the entire universe and the world. I don't think that's what Paul's, that's not his point, but his point, all kinds of people in all kinds of places where I interact with people in life, this is my goal. That I'll say what I need to say and admonish the way I need to admonish and teach what I need to teach so that I can present them to God on that final day, mature. So that this would be one of my offerings that I give to God is, is I helped this person to grow in their relationship with God, so that on the final day I offer them to God. They're, they belong to you. Thank you for giving me an opportunity to minister to them and help them, but I present them to you, Lord, perfect and mature in Christ. Not sinless, not self-righteous, but in Christ, mature in Christ. So the goal is maturity in knowledge and obedience and commitment. The last thing I want us to see here is how excruciating the effort is. Look what Paul says, for this I toil, agonizomai, agony. I toil with pain and suffering. Why? To present other people mature in Christ. Paul toils. He struggles with all his energy that God powerfully works in him. Are you willing to work and toil in this way for the sake of others? I mean, there are seasons of our life, church, where our toiling and struggling is just, Lord, I just need to be faithful. I'm struggling to be faithful right now in my own life, in dependence on God and putting off the old man and putting on the new man. And that in itself is a struggle. But let me invite you to a struggle that goes beyond you, a struggle to help others in their walk with Christ. Are you willing to spend yourself for the sake of Christ for others that you could present them mature? Again, you might say, John, this this is an apostle. This This was his job. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. That's what Paul said. Let's imitate him in these ways. All right, let's wrap this up with some application. Hopefully some practical ways you can think about this and move forward. So um, I have uh, one of the books that I read in preparing for this message was Discipling by Mark Dever. Um, it's, it's a really good book. It's, it's one of the real thin books from the nine Marks uh, guys, Mark Devers Church. And he, he had three different statements throughout his book that I thought were helpful for definitions. So here's the first. Deliberately doing spiritual good to someone so that he will be more like Christ. Deliberately. Now, a lot of us do a lot of discipling just kind of through life. But Dever is trying to help us see we're deliberately doing some spiritual good to someone so that he will be more like Christ. Or again, page 35, initiating a relationship in which you teach, correct, model and love. That's kind of his working definition for the book, but initiating a relationship in which you teach, correct, model and love. And then he has kind of a summary statement later. Discipling is really just a bunch of church members taking responsibility to prepare one another for glory. We all need that. I need that. I need other people in my life helping prepare me to meet Jesus. And you need one another as well. You don't just need your pastors. You need one another that you would help one another prepare each other for glory. There are lots of different contexts that this could happen. Uh, uh, we, could, we could list them. So you've got Jesus and the multitude, you've got Jesus and the 12, you've got Jesus and the three, you've got Paul and Timothy, or Samuel and Eli or Elijah and Elisha, or Moses and Joshua. Uh, One of my favorites that I read was in Nehemiah. You've got Ezra and his scribes teaching the people. So it doesn't just say Ezra taught the people. It says Ezra taught and then he listed about a dozen different Levites or scribes rather that were explaining. They gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. So, you've got Ezra up there reading the Old Covenant, and you've got all these scribes explaining it to people. What does this mean for us? How do we obey this? This great picture of discipling. And then, of course, we've got a classic in Deuteronomy 6 example of discipling with parents and their children. As you sit, as you stand, as you walk in the way, teach them to obey. So, I'm going to suggest six possible ways that you could pursue making disciples. Six different ways. The first is for help or accountability for an area of growth. You recognize a place in your life, or you recognize in the place of somebody else's life a need for growth. This could be growth in spiritual disciplines, in marriage, in parenting, in evangelism, in in, in any area where you say, I need to grow. Well, if you recognize I need to grow, go ask somebody for help in that area of your life. Could you help me in my marriage? Could you help me be more evangelistic? Could you help me in my parenting? Could you help me be more consistent in spiritual disciplines? That's recognizing need for growth, asking for help or offering help. Either way, it goes both directions here. Number 2, help or accountability in areas of struggle. So this could be, I struggle with lust and pornography and I'm addicted and I need somebody to help me through this area of struggle in my life. Or it might be, I really have an anger problem. I didn't think I did, but God's just been showing me that I'm operating out of anger in my marriage or in my parenting. And ask somebody, would you help me in this area of struggle? Or maybe it's laziness or finances that you need help with. So this might be a temporary kind of discipleship, uh, for a time where you meet for a certain number of times with somebody to help them through an issue. Third, just teaching and learning together as peers. Discipling doesn't always have to be a Paul and a Timothy. It can be peers coming alongside one another and say, "Let's, let's work on something together in our knowledge and obedience to God. It could be that the teaching or learning comes from older and wiser, number four. Maybe you look f- for that older couple in the church that's raised all their kids, and you say, we need help. Like, we're right in the middle of it. Most of yours turned out okay. Can I listen to you? you know? So sometimes it's listening to people who have gone before us. You've been married for 45 years. I've got so much to learn from you. Maybe it's just, number five, just general Christian fellowship. Living life close enough together to make real observations about character and faithfulness. This is where your small groups come in. Do you you live life close enough together to make real, real heart observations about somebody's character or faithfulness? And is there willingness to give and receive correction? And then finally, personal study and spiritual disciplines there are things that can get in the way maybe our definition was too broad or too narrow in so much that we leave ourselves out of this task we assume that it's somebody else's job we think we're not mature enough to disciple others or maybe we're proud and have an aversion to following others We like to be spoon-fed and don't want to have to work hard to be a follower of Jesus. Some final exhortations here. First, are are you a disciple? Are you a follower of Jesus? Have you laid aside your own path and decided to follow Jesus as Savior, Lord, and Master of your life? Have you answered the call from Jesus to leave your nets, to use the the picture in the Gospels, leave your nets and follow me? Have you done that in your life? Discipling doesn't begin with a class or a weekly get-together with a mentor. It begins with a life surrendered to Jesus and his call on your life. And if you're not a Christian, and that sounds really intimidating, listen to this clear text from Romans If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. If you are a Christian, are you taking advantage of what's available to you to grow? Sunday worship and sermons, small groups... Discipleship classes, leadership development, are you taking advantage of that? And second, are you actively working to make disciples? Are you a discipler? Are you ready to receive the call from God to make disciples of others? When is the last time you brought correction to someone else? Rebuke, admonition, questions, confronting wrong thinking. When is the last time somebody did that to you that you received exhortation or admonition or questions or corrections to your thinking? These are good questions to identify. Is discipling going on in your life? What are some next steps for you? This is really simple. Name somebody, write it down. Think of it this afternoon. Who is somebody that you would like to present mature on that day before Christ? Think of somebody. Think of a real person, a name that you would like to present mature and pursue them, teach them, proclaim to them the gospel, prepare them for that day. It's, it's my experience that Christians will stagnate at some point in their spiritual walk if they won't accept the commitment to make disciples of others. If you're always receiving teaching and receiving receiving help from others and you're never giving, then it's just knowledge. Paul says knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Let's be a church filled with people who love others enough to build them up in the gospel. Let's pray together. God, thank you for calling us not just to become disciples, but calling us to your kingdom so that we might make disciples, that we might spend our lives, not just in our vocation, but through our vocation and through our family and through our church and through our evangelism, that we would be spent for your kingdom preparing other people for glory. Lord, thank you for all in this church who are already busy about impacting other people with the gospel, teaching, leading, admonishing, mentoring, modeling. Lord, thank you for those who are here and and they're already spending their lives for the sake of others in their maturity. Would you help would you help more believers accept and find joy and find glory in that task? We pray in Jesus name. Amen.